Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod, birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. And by Vortex Optics, with the VIP warranty, their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. And by Broom, where bird feeding meets innovation. Discover truly squirrel-proof bird feeders, all backed by lifetime care commitment. Learn more at broom.com. Good morning, afternoon, or evening. Welcome to our show, number 973. There's more controversy in the world of birding having to do with how things are named. Probably the best-known name in the entire world of birding is Audubon, as in John James Audubon, the legendary French-American artist, naturalist, and ornithologist. But his name has become increasingly controversial, especially in connection with the question of slavery. The Wikipedia entry for Mr. Audubon says that he and his family owned several slaves. John James Audubon was condemned during his time by abolitionists who wanted to abolish slavery, while he, according to the Wikipedia article, was dismissive of abolitionists in both the U.S. and the United Kingdom. Well, Portland, Audubon, and Oregon has become the latest group to remove the name Audubon from its identity. It is now known as the Bird Alliance of Oregon. The group said it made the decision after soliciting community feedback in the past year. Stuart Wells, the Bird Alliance of Oregon's executive director, said this about the change. Quote, Our adoption of a new name is one of many steps in our years-long equity journey to create a more welcoming place. End quote. Other groups are changing, too, or have already done so. Seattle Audubon has changed its name to Birds Connect Seattle. New York City Audubon decided last March to drop Audubon from its name, and they say they'll announce a new name this spring. So even as the efforts to change the common names of birds so they'll no longer be named for people, including Audubon, another birding organization has removed Audubon from its name. Meanwhile, National Audubon considered making a change, but they announced in March of last year that they will keep the Audubon name. But will more changes be coming? Seems likely. If you're listening to our show on the 18th or 19th of February, then it's not too late to join the Great Backyard Bird Count, a wonderful citizen science project. Here's the address, birdcount.org. You can find out all about it there. A most worthwhile and fun citizen science project, birdcount.org. We have two audio postcards to share on today's show, one from each coast, starting with Doug, who somewhere in North Carolina. Hello, Ray. This is Doug Pfeiffer, a long-time listener. Uh, we're on a foray with the Virginia Society of Ornithology at Pocosin Lake State Park in eastern North Carolina, where we're seeing thousands of tundra swans grazing on the, the remnants of the, the corn planted along the impoundments, and quite a few shovelers out there, too. Thank you. Thank you, Doug, for those tundra swans and northern shovelers there in North Carolina.
Now, farther north to the nutmeg state, Connecticut, that is. Hi, Ray. This is Deb Eccleston. I am sitting in my living room at my window and looking out at a Cape May wobbler at my bird feeder, no less. And you might think, well, that's pretty strange. But not only is he at my bird feeder, he's at my bird feeder on January 31st. Uh, I named him Spirit. He's been here for over a month. I try to feed him the best that I can, keep away all the other birds so that he can get to the food safely. And he's pretty beautiful. This bird is supposed to be down in South America or Cuba or the Bahamas not up in New England, end of January. Just wanted to share that with you and share that with your listeners. Uh, Fingers crossed for him. Instead of migrating south, I'm hoping he migrates north in the coming months. All right. Thank you. We hope so, too. Uh, Deb, checking in with us there at the end of January. And that warbler is still there. We'd love to get audio postcards, and they're pretty easy to make. We can even make them ourselves here. We've tried it. Just get your smartphone or some other digital recording device. And wherever you're looking at birds, Borneo, the backyard, wherever, just record a little 30-second to a minute description of what you're seeing. And then uh, send the file to ray at talkingbirds.com. That's ray at talkingbirds.com. Coming along later in our show, our weekly mystery bird contest. And we have something very special to announce about that. So be listening carefully. Meanwhile, here's some info about the contest, like the sound of the bird we have. Pretty quiet bird, except when it's doing those alarm calls there. Our bird is mostly brownish gray with a peach-colored face, a crest on its crown, a black mask and chin patch and cinnamon-colored undertail coverts. It has a grayish belly and small red spots on its secondary feather tips. Our bird is an irregular winter visitor from the far north, mostly to states and provinces along the U.S.-Canada border, especially west of the Dakotas. Beautiful prizes uh, on our contest today, including something, as we alluded to, extra special. We'll start off with that mega 600 feeder from Brome Bird Care and then add some beautiful pop-up floral bouquets that are wilt-proof and crafted to last a lifetime from our friends at Fresh Cut Paper. All coming along on the actual mystery bird contest, coming along in just a little bit. Here's a royal salute to another Talking Birds listener who has become a Talking Birds ambassador, and that is our friend Hans Peterman from Warner, California. Um, Hans is doing a lot of good work, and we can't see the screen that says exactly what that work is, but we're <laughs> we're going to um, clarify that next week and give a little extra shout out to Hans for becoming a Talking Birds. Ambassador, which is so easy to do. All you have to do is go to TalkingBirds.com and uh, click on the tab up at the top of the page that says Get Involved for our Ambassadors program. We have, we're happy to say, more than 850 Talking Birds ambassadors in, in that family now. Still to come today, we'll talk with our friend David Clapp, who's returned home from a trip to Sex Zim Bog in northeastern Minnesota. Also today, Mike O'Connor will join us for a Let's Ask Mike segment almost live from the archive. 
So that means we'll avoid any nasty confrontations between those two feuding fellows. <clears throat> and up next, another somewhat misnamed bird is today's featured feathered friend. Early English settlers in North America somehow got the idea that today's heavy-billed featured feathered friend only emerged from the woods to sing after sundown. So they called it the evening grosbeak. French settlers, noting the bird's irregular appearances and that stout beak, gave it an accurately descriptive name, le gros bec errant, the wandering big bill. Although the evening grosbeak is a songbird, it isn't really a singer. It has no complex song to attract a mate or defend its territory, only a series of sweet notes and chips. That big bill serves this bird well, enabling it to crush seeds that are too large for siskins and red poles to handle. And those smaller finches often associate with the evening grosbeak to pick up food scraps that the grosbeaks drop in the crushing process. Until the early 1900s, evening grosbeaks were rare east of the Rockies, but they began moving eastward and became regular winter visitors in the New England area. It's thought that this expansion was largely due to the growing number of box elder maple trees, whose seeds provided the birds with a reliable food supply. In the summer, all that seed cracking takes a vacation, and our bird feasts on insects like the spruce budworm. And the fluctuation in spruce budworm availability is cited as one of the reasons for the decline in evening grosbeak numbers, down through its range 92% since the 1970s. Other factors for that population drop include disease, collisions with windows and buildings and cars, alteration and loss of mature forest, and the effects of climate change on northern forests. A continuing effort has been underway for several years now through an international road to recovery working group to study the bird and search for solutions to its decline. Cocothrostes vespertinus, our featured feathered friend, the evening grosbeak. Welcome again to our show, number 973. Well, master birder and international tour leader David Clapp has just returned from a road trip whose primary destination was the Sax-Zim Bog in northern Minnesota. And he joins us now to uh, tell a bit about it. Good morning, David. Good morning, Ray. Good to be here. Great to have you back after it's been a while. So good to have you back with us and uh, back home from your trip to a very cold place. I figure if you're going to travel to northern Minnesota in February, you should have a pretty good reason um, to do so. And that Sax-Zimbog place apparently yep. offers <laughs> such a reason. So tell us about Sax-Zimbog and what is so special about it. Uh, Sax-Zimbog is an area of black spruce. It's kind of like uh, Russian taiga or, or the, just before the tundra where the spruce struggle to live in the bad soils. Mm -hmm. um, black spruce grow like upside down ice cream cones, very pointy, very tall and thin. 
um, and very dense. Mm -hmm. And in this area, the roadways are cut, they're dirt roads. There's about 100 miles of dirt roads in this 300 square mile block that they call Sac Zimbog. Um, and the roadways are dirt, but they're well managed. They're nice roads, they're smooth basically, and they have wide verges. And on the shoulders, these wide shoulders, the snow builds up, the great gray owl particularly, hawk owl, boreal owl, mm. some of the uh, really Arctic type birds come down and feed in that snow along the edge of the road. Mm -hmm. And this is a place that you go in the winter, partly to experience temperatures well below zero, and <laughs> partly to look for great gray owl, hawk owl, boreal owl, uh, bohemian wax wings and so on. So it's not just to freeze and to look at upside down trees and dirt roads. There's there's more to it than that, huh? clearly. No, it, it surprised me. It surprised me actually. Wherever the land went up a little bit or wherever it was well drained, there was a great deal of agriculture in the area. Mm -hmm. Corn, um, looked like turf farms. Uh, it could be good birding all year long when the migrating shorebirds mm -hmm. are going through. Uh, or when passage small birds are passing up into the boreal forest, it looked like a great area to to be in as a naturalist. Mm -hmm. Well, you mentioned great gray owl. I think you had didn't have good luck spotting that bird uh, and some uh, others, but you, you got sorry, some. Sorry, the first the first morning, we're uh, we've all been to LLB, but we should have bought stock in LLB. And everybody's got new coats, new pants, new hats. <laughs> we we drive up there. It's about twenty eight degrees. Um, and the owls, of course, are not struggling because mm. there's no snow in the forest. They don't have to come to the road edges. They're all just scattered back wherever they want to be. No pressure. Well, we drive up. There's an owl in a tree. We pull over just as we come to a rolling stop. The owl flies off into the forest. Mm. One guy, John, congratulations, John. John saw it pretty well. And the rest of us might have seen what looked like something from under your bed just drifting through the trees, a little gray poof going through the trees. Mm -hmm. But basically, that was our owl. For the next four or five days, there was not a single report of a great gray owl. Wow. It was sad, but there's so many other good things to see. We had wonderful looks at a hawk owl, which is a great bird. Mm -hmm. uh, we found bohemian waxwings, pine grosbeaks, three-toed woodpecker. Yeah. So lot, lots of consolations for m missing that uh, that great gray owl. Absolutely. David, in one of your one of your trip notes, you uh, concerned the lack of snow and the mild temperatures up there. I think you said your guide had never seen the bog in this state. Is that right? No, that's true. Um, we were with a company called Red Red Hill Birding, and we had a fellow from Chicago, Adam Sell, who took us out, and he's been doing this same trip basically for at least ten years. And we had uh, rough-legged hawks, which usually breed to the north, up in the, the tundra, the treeless areas, and then fly over Minnesota to winter in the, in the Plains states. And we had oh, half a dozen every day, probably, that were feeding in and around this area because it was not snow-covered. Mm -hmm. Our temperatures would begin the day between 20 and 25 and get up to maybe 34 to 38 during the course of the day. We did not have that below zero, freeze your nostrils mm -hmm. kind of weather. Um, quite surprising. Mm -hmm. I, 
Quite surprising, in, I guess. Indeed. Not much time left, David, but uh, you, I know you made some other stops along your trip from Cape Cod to northeastern Minnesota. Could you give us a couple of highlights on, yeah, on there? The lovely Francis and I drove <laughs> through New York, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, reaching Wisconsin at the very southern edge. And to get to Duluth, Minnesota, which is basically on the edge of Wisconsin, not really in Minnesota, hmm. uh, you drive diagonally north north west through wisconsin and we stopped uh, at salt city and we had uh, a bird that only nests uh, lives in the st louis area uh, we had lots of thunder swans and whooper swans uh, and then on the way home we tried to get into montezuma wildlife refuge near rochester new york full of birds full of birds but the, the drive was not open so we really couldn't enjoy it it's a it's a great drive it's a great country to to go birding anywhere you anywhere is bird country. Mm -hmm. Enjoy it. That's our well-traveled friend, David Clapp. And before you go, David, uh, how do folks uh, follow you and keep up to date on stuff you're doing? Um, I'm, <laughs> I've had a blog called On the Road with DEC, um, which covered a lot of my Africa stuff in Galapagos and New Zealand and Australia and that. And I've been very, very poor at keeping it up. This will be an impetus, right? <laughs> on the Road with DEC will be a very active blog from now on. All right, On the Road with DEC. <laughs> it is, and DEC, if I'm not mistaken, stands for David E. Clapp. And David, <laughs> David Emerson Clapp. Yeah. David Emerson. Emer oh, we'll have to talk more about that middle name sometime. <laughs> Thank you, David. <laughs> David Clapp with us here on Talking Birds. And up next, it's our Mystery Bird contest and some very special contest today in just one minute. The flutter of a tail feather, the flash of a wing bar in mid-flight. You don't always have a lot of time to identify a bird in nature, let alone to appreciate its beauty. But with Vortex Optics, you'll have the power to bring every wild moment closer. When you choose Vortex, you're choosing to have a partner in the field as passionate about nature as you are. Whether you're spotting old friends on the backyard feeder or packing for a once-in-a-lifetime trip to add a few species to your life list, Vortex offers a full range of optics and optics accessories for every birder and every budget. And whether the birds are taking you to another state or another country, you're always covered by the Vortex VIP warranty, an unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. If you'd like to learn more or if you need help choosing your next optic, Give Vortex a call at 1-800-4-VORTEX or visit VortexOptics.com. There's our mystery bird, but listen, there's more. Yeah. This bird can make noise when it wants to. It's mostly brownish gray with a peach-colored face, a crest on its crown, a black mask and chin patch, and cinnamon-colored undertail coverts. It has a grayish belly, and small red spots on its secondary feather tips. And we said we had something special here about the mystery bird contest this morning. That's in addition to beautiful prizes from Brome Bird Care, that mega 600 feeder, and fresh cut paper, those beautiful pop-up floral bouquets. Here's the thing. Something special is this. It's today's winner. It is that today's winner. And the winners on the next three shows will be entered automatically into a drawing for a beautiful binocular or pair of binoculars, if you prefer that nomenclature, from Vortex Optics. To be specific, it's the Vortex Viper HD 
8x42. It's a great optic. Retail value is about 500 bucks, and the odds for winning it are pretty good if you're one of our winners on this or the next three shows. So good luck on our mystery bird contest. Our bird, an irregular winter visitor from the far north, mostly to states and provinces along the U.S.-Canada border, especially west of the Dakotas, feeds on fruits and berries known for becoming intoxicated sometimes and even with fatal results upon occasion. So that's our mystery bird. The number is 781-837-4900. That's 781-837-4900. Do call us as soon as you can so we'll have time, you know, for the for the contest. 781-837-4900. Up next, almost live from the archive, it's Let's Ask Mike in just one minute. We head down to Cape Cod now where the sun always shines and the owls have very short ears. Mike O'Connor <laughs> is down there. Uh, good morning, Mike. I understand you've been spending time at the airport uh, lately. At the airport, right? up in Provincetown Airport. Yeah. Yeah, we got to, um, you know, I think I, I, ever since Harry Potter, you know, even non-birders have been interested in uh, yeah. owls. In the owls, trouble yeah. with owls is they're hard to see. They're nocturnal. Mm-hmm. Uh, they typically secretive, so sometimes we can hear them, most times we don't see them. Uh, but a short it owl, a little bit of an exception for that. They're active hunters, they don't necessarily sit and wait for food, but they'll fly low, and they come out sometimes during the day, oftentimes at sunset, you know, they fly at night too, but oftentimes you can see them if you go to the right habitat, and then what's nice about short eared owls, they're pretty much in theory, everywhere. Mm. Um, you know, they're widespread. They're in all 50 states. They're not like snowy owls that just show up once in a while. And uh, even in Hawaii, so when you go, you know, when you go surfing this year, Ray, you can go maybe look for short-eared owls. I got my board. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, got my wax. So I got a. I was looking online, and David Clapp, you know, your friend David Clapp, yeah, you know, posted that uh, that he had seen a shorty owl up near the Provincetown Airport, and you know, I think we both agree that pretty much everything David says, he kind of makes up on the spot. He makes it up usually. He yeah. Makes it up, yeah. right? But this turned out to be uh, kind of true. So, um, you know, my wife and I jumped in the car the next day, and we drove up, and it was a sunny day, it was like three thirty in the afternoon, <sighs> and we drove up to the Provincetown. Airport, and it's at the uh, what they call the Province Lands Visitors Center. It's right next door. We parked there, and I could thought I saw something over in the dunes, and so I kind of climbed up on the dunes, and there was David Clapp. That's right. So I was very disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) On the other side of the dune was indeed a short at all. And they're they're fairly tame birds. You know, you don't want to harass stuff, so I didn't want to get too close. But they're they're not skittish. And and then I watched it for quite a while, took some pictures. And then it it flew off. And for the last couple of days, people have been seeing this owl. Now, the, the, the downside is these owls are in trouble. At least in the northeast, the habitat's been disappearing. The birth of grasslands and farmlands and all those areas are often turned into housing development. So their population is in decline. But if you're looking for owls, kind of look at the eBird posts. And then in the, at around just before sunset, go to a, a wide open tundra, a boon, a dog, a boon, a dog. <laughs> <laughs> Not someone I want to say. Dune or bog yeah. area and fields and, uh, you know, maybe you get lucky. All right. Well, thank you, Mike. And let us know if you find any more sightings of those of, or of David Clapp. <laughs> All right. We'll talk next week, Ray. Thank you, Mike.
Welcome to a world where bird feeding is enjoyable for both you and your feathered friends. Introducing Squirrel Buster Bird Feeders by Brome. Our innovative feeders are designed to keep squirrels at bay, ensuring that your garden birds get their fair share. And the best part? We offer lifetime care for every feeder, making your purchase worry-free. Transform your garden into a bird paradise and keep it that way forever. Sorry, squirrels. It's just for the birds this time. Visit brome.com, B-R-O-M-E.com to discover our full range of squirrel buster feeders and join the Brome family today. Brome, where birds come first and our commitment to you lasts a lifetime. All right, we've reconfigured our configuration here. We're back on the mystery bird contest, that is. At 781-837-4900, we have a couple of base staters here, starting with Kevin in Situate, Massachusetts. Hello, Kevin. Hello. hello. Hi, how are you? I'm well. How are you, Kevin? Great. All right. What do you think about our mystery bird? Well, I'm saying cedar waxwing. Cedar waxwing, uh, I think uh, we'd have to say. Well, apparently that's not correct. Uh, sounded like a, could okay. have been almost the right answer there, but not quite as they, as they say in the horseshoes and, and all that. But thank you, Kevin. All right. All right thank you. All right. Have a good Let, day. You too. Let's try Darlene in Ocean Bluff, Massachusetts. Hello, Darlene. Good morning, Ray. Good morning. What do you think, uh, Darlene, about that uh, mystery bird there? I think it's a bohemian waxwing. Bohemian waxwing. Certain authority in your voice on that one, Darlene, I think. Yes, a bohemian waxwing is right. Congratulations on Thank that. Thank you so much. And you know, we have, I think we, if we can find it, we have a, a, a bonus question here. We're having a little trouble finding things today, but generally we eventually find the things. And I think it is here. And this has something to do with something in the, in the news. When we hear the word Sora, we think of a secretive marsh bird with a bright yellow bill. But the name Sora has now been applied to something quite different. What is this thing called Sora? A, it's a new Broadway play celebrating Korean culture. B, it's a new electric vehicle from the makers of Hyundai and Kia. Or C, it's a new artificial intelligence model from OpenAI. So three possible things there. What do you think? I'm thinking B. B. Electric vehicle. Electric vehicle is uh, not exactly uh, what it was there. No, that seems like a, a reasonable guess. But it's actually a new artificial intelligence model from huh? OpenAI. A lot of people are kind of scared of it. But there it is. Uh, but Darlene, you were the winner of the. <laughs> you, f you finally got a buzzer there. I'm sure you're glad. I had to wind it up. Yeah, I had to get that thing ready. Darlene, stay on the line and we'll get your info and send you those prizes. Well, thank you so much, Ray. Thank you. Thank Have you, Darlene. Thanks, Darlene, correctly identifying the Bohemian waxwing as our mystery bird. Uh, that almost puts us out of time for this morning. Is David, I think David Clapp is still on the Zoom there. Is he? I'm not sure. I thought I saw him pop up there again. Are you there, David? I guess, I guess not. It's just his, his Zoom is showing up there. Well, next week we have a, another very special guest, and his name is Gino Ellison. 
And if you've listened to our show at all in the last uh, few months, you've heard Gino on with us. He recently completed North American Big Year. His goal was to find 700 species of birds. And guess what? He found more than 800 species of birds in that 365-day period, which is pretty amazing. And he'll tell us how he did it uh, as our special guest next week. Just a reminder about our new Patreon. It's a great way to support our show if you would care to do that. And we'll send you some nice perks in the process. Go to patreon.com slash birds to see how to do it. That's patreon.com slash birds. Well, thanks to our amazing Talking Birds team, Debbie Bleacher, Freya McGregor. Jesse Wilkins, our engineer, is away today. We tried to get Tim McKenney to fill in, and we called him, and, and uh, let me just, uh, hold on, I have to plug this thing in over here. We called, we called Tim, and this is what we heard. Hi, you've reached Tim. I am a piece of work, and I'm sorry I wasn't there when you needed me. <laughs> That's not the real Tim. Tim really was there, and he's with Who us. Who the heck is that guy? He's with us right now. Jeez. Thank you, Tim. We're You're out welcome. of time, and we'll uh, see you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod, birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. And by Vortex Optics, with the VIP warranty, their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. And by Brome, where bird feeding meets innovation. Discover truly squirrel-proof bird feeders, all backed by lifetime care commitment. Learn more at Brome.com. Dot com.